In the cinematic sea of prequels, sequels, reboots, and reimaginings, the Movie Retakes podcast considers the merits and desires for Hollywood's new takes on our beloved movie classics. Brothers Matt and Chris Sully examine the latest retake franchises, pitch their own original retake visions, and share their love for the movies that made them. This is Big Sully. And this is Matt Salacious Crumb, or Crumb Salacious, I don't know. The point is, crumbs as in they're small, and things are all small today because we're talking, honey, I shrunk the kids. Payback, boy. This thing works, so put us right up there with the invention of electricity. First man in space. First dog in space. And if you haven't followed us, we want you to on Twitter and uh, YouTube. And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify or whatever, if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do that because it's cool. I also want to promote a few things today. Uh, We do have the Movie Retakes website up. It's movieretakes.com. The best. Uh, On there is all kinds of stuff. You'll get some news. Uh, we get some reviews. Uh, a lot of the stuff we talk about on the show is there. Uh, articles and uh, our pitches are there. So if uh, you want to go back and read some of those, they're all available. And uh, it's kind of a follow-along, too, so you can listen to the podcast there uh, with a uh, listing of the movies that we talk about. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Go check it out. And uh, when the giveaways happen, uh, you'll also be able to uh, hook up and get the details on those giveaways there as well. And a little bit of self-promotion. I also have a website, basically a blog at mattcsully.com where you can check out updates on stuff I'm writing. And if you like what you hear when you're listening to the podcast and you'd be so kind as to leave us a review like number one Curtis did on Apple Podcasts uh, titled A Great Show. The Movie Retakes podcast is an entertaining, interesting, and informative show It's a great movie review podcast. I definitely recommend taking a listen. Follow his lead. Go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us move on up the charts and get in front of more people. And the more people get in front of, the more podcast episodes you're going to get over time. So please do that. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up for you, all focused on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, But before we get there, a couple of things for you. Uh, reminder, we got some we got some questions we're going to answer during the podcast. Like, how many writers does it take to make a screenplay? Why did the franchise receive a dunce award? And why does this franchise owe a big thanks to the Batman franchise? Mm-hmm. Things we'll discover along the way. But first, what you watching? Oh boy, this is always... There's always a lot here uh, in this time of quarantine. I find myself uh, in the little bit of free time I have. The TV is on. I'm watching something. Uh, right now, movies and TV. I just rewatched Umbrella Academy Season 1, uh, getting ready for the August 10th premiere of Umbrella Academy Season 2. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm watching week to week. It's painful uh, to have to wait the weeks, but this is maybe one of the best seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ever. Unfortunately, it's the last season. Uh, Doom Patrol, still loving, still watching week to week. Best opening song on anything I'm watching. I love it. And then uh, this past week was SDCC, San Diego Comic-Con, but since no one could go, it was Comic-Con at home, and I've been catching up on a bunch of the panels, uh, like Walking Dead and Star Trek 
and uh, Bill and Ted. Uh, Bill and Ted 3 had an awesome panel uh, with Alex Winters, Keanu Reeves, mm-hmm. uh, writers and directors. That was a lot of fun. I just watched an entire panel all about Nathan Fillion, uh, which I may have to watch multiple times because Nathan Fillion. Number one fan, huh? I, I might be. I mean, I love that man. He's amazing. <laughs> he's, he's who I aspire to be, you know? Yeah, he just seems like a uh, really nice podcast? guy. What's that? He just seems like a really nice guy. That's how it started off. They're like, this is why Nathan Fillion is the most beloved man in Hollywood. <laughs> and then they went on and had all these interviews. <laughs> Uh, podcasts, I'm still listening to Mark Marin, WTF, uh, ID10T. Not as much lately. I've been listening to music while I run, but I'm getting, I go in and out of music and podcasts. Uh, and then games. Of course, I'm gaming on my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Sully. And uh, we always play Animal Crossing. I've, I've logged hundreds of hours in that now. Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Rocket League, Halo, getting really excited about the upcoming games in just a few months we've got halo infinite coming and i could not be more excited about that that seems like one of those trap names where it's like uh you don't ever name uh, a movie like the last something because then you're gonna have another one and then you're like but this is actually the last one infinite kind of ruins your chances at doing a, a sequel i would think <laughs> they'll find a way there'll be a time travel element and they'll just reset everything. it'll just be like grade school uh playground stuff infinity plus one <laughs> i know you are but what am yeah. i halo yeah <laughs> uh i uh you know i i watched uh umbrella academy when it came out and i wanted to like it and i didn't and i and and every episode i, I watched the whole season because i kept thinking no there's there's stuff here. I think I'm gonna like this. I just have to keep going. It, it ultimately the story was all right. I just didn't like the casting, which is really weird because I I really like that one kid who's from uh, Misfits. Um, is that the name? Of it? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Um, we really enjoyed that show. We t- I think we talked about it last week on uh, Candyman, but um, I didn't really like anybody else. I liked um, uh, what's her face uh, from uh, uh, Ellen Page. What's the name of that? Super. Or whatever, uh, Juno. Um, yeah, Ellen Page. Mm-hmm. That's okay, it. cool. Yep, we both got it. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, and I really like her. I think she was probably the best casting. I just didn't like anybody else, and uh, I felt see, that that's was... so funny because I'm the opposite. I think Ellen Page was weak in that, and I liked the fact that most of the other people were unknowns. I felt I felt it like it gave you a, a chance to get to learn them as a character and not have some preconceived notions of who they were. Yeah, I'm all for it's unknowns. So strange that we had such different takes. Yeah, that'll happen, huh? Uh, but I am continuing. Well, it's another thing too. So, so I'm continuing my Miyazaki run, and I don't know if I ruffled any feathers by saying that I didn't really like any of them. Uh, I'm sure I did. But good news, people, <laughs> Miyazaki fans, I found one that I liked. Princess Mononoke was really good. Um, okay. I, uh, I I recommend it if anybody's not watched. I don't know if that's the great uh, place to start because I, there are more. Um, but uh, I enjoyed that one. It was a good story. The characters were cool. Uh, animation's about the same. I mean, he he has cool animation style. Uh, but that uh, has kept me hanging on enough where I have hopes for some other ones. So I'll be looking into some more of those. Um, I think that's probably going to overlap. I just discovered there's a bunch of Charlie Chaplin movies available um, on um, uh, the Canadian Netflix that I'm excited about because they've been on my list to watch for a long time. And I'm just too lazy to go do it. Now that they're all together, I, I think I have to do it. Uh, but we've watched a few movies. We watched uh, Everest, 
Uh, we watched um, uh, Devil, which is actually uh, there's a uh, in the reviews section of our podcast or our, our uh, website. Uh, I have kind of a homework area, and I just updated that. So Devil's the new homework. Uh, if you haven't gone to see see that movie, uh, you should check it out. It's pretty cool and overlooked by a lot of people. Uh, kind of fits into our horror. Uh, span there from uh, coming off of Candyman. Uh, but we watched uh, Atomic Blonde, or I watched Atomic Blonde. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, liked that. I really liked it. Um, I think it was uh, what made it great uh, was that it was in that whole Cold War era stuff, because that's a throwback to like movies of old for us. We always, that was, you know, US was the good guys, Russians were the bad guys. It was one of those things we didn't question. It was in any movie, and we we're like, yep, this makes sense. Uh, and so when you do that again, it's kind of nostalgic. Um, and, uh, but you liked old, the old guard. I watched that too. And I, I didn't like it as much. I I thought there was a lot of flaws in Atomic Blonde. I felt was way better. And I liked, I liked the action of Atomic Blonde. It was cool. It was, um. And the music. Yeah. The music was good too. Uh, we watched. Yeah. Atomic Blonde was better out of those two for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, we, uh, we watched, uh, Vivarium. Uh, which is a very strange film, very artsy, but I, I enjoyed it. I can't go into too much detail, um, so sorry. <laughs> Just check it out. Yeah, don't give it away. Um, and I couldn't remember much about Death Wish. Uh, I watched that again uh, with Charles Bronson. Not good. It's not good. I wanted it. I, I thought I bet- it, it's different than what I thought it would be. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. And those old films like that, that was, what, 70s? Yeah. Um, they they had such slow pacing. It's brutal sometimes. Yeah, you're right. That that there definitely was a, a different pacing, but overall just the acting wasn't very good either. Oh well. Sorry, Charlie. And we have been watching some television. We finished uh, Ozark, which now I'm excited to get to season four. Um because so we good. we've enjoyed that show. Uh Modern Family, where I think we're nearing the end there. It's got like infinite seasons. Uh we tried Down to Earth with Zach Efron. But man, we didn't make it through the first episode. It was just I love that. Oh, I didn't no, like it. No. I just it was like two idiot bros asking dumb questions from really smart people that uh, they deserved a better host. So, and we like travel shows. If you want to check out a good travel show, uh you should check out David Ferrier's Dark Tourist. Uh still highly recommend right. that. Uh it's so interesting cuz these are places you've not seen anybody go to before he's a fantastic host and he gets into some some situations where you are genuinely afraid for him it's uh it's very very good and um yeah uh, we're really hoping he does the second season but no word on that yet uh the great canadian baking show one of our favorites was uh the great british (laughs) bake-off and this is a direct uh, uh sort of thing it's a duplicate of that show uh it's not quite as good for the hosts and stuff but it's it's still entertaining. Our favorite thing on it is because it's not one of these catty uh, competition shows where they talk trash and like you know it's it's uh, it's everybody's just really nice to each other and there's no big mm-hmm. prize at the end. It's not like a million dollars and a new Ferrari. It's like you you just get this nice tray that you with your name on it that you can put your cake on when you go back home and that's it. It's it's more of recognition and smiles and everybody makes great food. So if you want to uh, uh, an easy to watch. A baking competition show i recommend uh that one i guess i'm going on pretty long but i got s- yeah so i'll just shut up uh <laughs> <laughs> i think that's enough about uh what we're watching uh but i do want to talk a little bit more 
um, about uh, writers. As a writer, one of the things I want to focus on uh, on, on this podcast is film credits of who wrote the movie. Uh, but these writing credits aren't as clear as they may seem. On IMDb, I often see several different attributions for writers. Screenplay by, screen story by, adaptation by, written by, and story by. And that gets a little bit confusing. I wrongfully assumed that story by was the person who scribbled the basic concept of the movie on a bar napkin and spent the next day trying to figure out what the heck it was they wrote. What story by actually means is anyone that wrote some kind of screenplay outline or treatment for the movie, which is essentially an extended synopsis. What my brother and I write for this podcast come pretty close to being actual film treatments. We would get a story by credit if someone made one of our movies. According to the Writers Guild of America, even if our entire screenplay is thrown out by the next writer, we're still entitled to no less than a shared story by credit. They may never use one bit of our idea, but because it started with us, our names will always have that association. This is called the Irreducible Story Minimal. And if we do this show long enough, don't be surprised if you see the Sully Brothers earning a few story by credits on our now fictional retake pitches. Screen story by is closer to the napkin scenario where one writer gave others some springboard concepts to the overall screenplay. This designation is limited to two writers. Written by is for those entitled to both story by and screenplay by credit. Screenplay by is reserved for writers whose material is included in the final version of the movie and also limited to two. The caveat here is if writing teams are involved, and in identifying writing teams is where things get very specific. If the word and, A and D, joins two or more writers' names, it means they were individuals working separately on the project. If the ampersand symbol is used, it indicates an actual team of writers. And we've seen this before in other stuff we've mentioned. We've, we've discovered they were, they were writing teams. There was a time when I didn't consider anything more than who starred in a movie. Then I began paying attention to directors, producers, and only recently delving into the writers of movies. If you love something, like we love movies, then you want to know every detail of how it goes from concept to final cut. If you make a list of your favorite movies, at some point, you'll see an overlap in the creative talent involved. Writers don't get the glamour and recognition that actors and directors do, but if you like the work of a particular screenwriter, you should see what else they've written. You might just be able to add something more to your favorites list. That is very interesting. I never had any clue about those distinctions in the credits. Uh, really find that interesting. And your last part there is absolutely right. I know when we were recording the Nerd Foo podcast before, my buddy Steve and I, uh, we first started talking about movies. He did not follow directors at all. Mm. And I really was like, hey, you, you, you like these movies. You need to see who the director is because there's probably going to be other stuff you like from that director. And now I see him tweeting about, oh, a new movie directed by such and such. I can't <laughs> wait. So I, I'm glad that he evolved over time. And, and I feel like I'm always evolving. I have not paid attention very often to who writes the screenplay or the story. I need to do that more often. Yeah, I don't I don't think many people do at all, and which is why when we started this, I wanted to make sure to uh, have those credits in, but I feel like a jerk because I was dismissive of the story by credits. There's been mm-hmm. a bunch of times where I just didn't include those people um, in our listing. So I might go back and correct that on the uh, the website. But yeah, that's it's important. the right thing to do. And, it's, and it is very interesting. And there are, are people who will pay attention to that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's Pretty get cool. into the franchise. This is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. 
Yeah, so we got, uh, basically what we're reviewing today before we give our original pitches is the first two films. There are multiple films and I think a TV series as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to start things off today talking about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the original film. You did it. It works. The machine works. Do the kids know? Well, yeah, the kids know. Uh, synopsis for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. The scientist father of a teenage girl and boy accidentally shrinks his and two other neighborhood teens to the size of insects. Now the teens must fight diminutive dangers as the father searches for them. Actors uh, Rick Moranis, who you'll know from SCTV, SNL, Strange Brew, Ghostbusters 1 and 2, Brewster's Millions, Little Shop of Horrors, Spaceballs, Parenthood, The Flintstones, Little Giants, Big Bully, and a sprinkling of voice work. Uh, but he mostly disappeared uh, since doing stuff in the in the nineties. Uh, what what an amazing resume mm-hmm. for him! I love everything that he was part of. Uh, Max Frewer, who you know is Max Headroom. That's how I always see him when I see his face. Matt Frewer, uh, but he was also Far From Home, Short Time, Senior Trip, Dawn of the Dead, Watchmen, Rampage, Pixels, and tons of other stuff. Oh yeah, a lot of Stephen King work. Uh, he did The Stand in 94 and bit parts and dozens of TV shows from Dr. Dr. 91 to Orphan Black to Fear the Walking Dead and the new Mary Perry Mason show. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Voice work on lots of shows. Batman, Dumb and Dumber, Gargoyles, Pink Panther. And he's the voice of Panic in the 97 Hercules film and the series from 98 to 99. Wow, I did not realize how much he was in. Marcia Strassman from The Patty Duke Show, MASH, Welcome Back, Cotter. Another Stakeout, several of the TV shows. Christine Sutherland, Legal Eagles, and a few other TV series. And, and I can't believe I didn't get this one. I watched the movie. I kept looking at her going, where do I know her from? She was the mom on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. She played Joyce Summers. And once I realized that, I felt like a real idiot because I loved her on that show. Uh, Thomas Wilson Brown from Silverado, Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael in 1990, and some TV including Knott's Landing, Boy Meets World. You got Jared Rushton, who I recognize immediately from Big, yeah, but he was also in Overboard as one of the, the sons. I love that movie so much. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, and that's it. I had to look him up and see what he looks like now. I'm like, why is this guy not acting still? He was so good. Uh, he was in Roseanne a little bit and some some one-offs elsewhere, but that was about it. Uh, Amy O'Neill, uh, who was in Young and the Restless in 86 and some other random one-offs in various TV shows. And Robert Oliveri, who was in Edward Scissorhands, and that's about it. We're now quarter of an inch tall and 64 feet from the house. It's the equivalent of 3.2 miles. It's a long way. Even for a man of science. That was actually one of the notes I made on the movie was most of the people in here, where did they go? You know? Yeah, the kids all uh, just kind of went away. What's that? The kids all just went away. They just didn't do much effort. Which is surprising. Hmm. None of them were horrible. I felt like they all delivered on their on their execution in the film. So it's very surprising to me. Uh, director Joe Johnston. Uh, for uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was his very first movie to direct, which, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was formerly a visual effects guy, which makes sense, uh, on Star Wars 4, 5, and 6, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Then after Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, he directed Rocketeer, that makes sense, Jumanji, October Sky, Jurassic Park 3, Hidalgo, 
The Wolfman, and my favorite Marvel movie, Captain America, The First Avenger, and Not Safe for Work, and the upcoming The Chronicles of Narnia, The Silver Chair. What a resume there. Yeah, I was going to say uh, that first Captain America is also probably one of my favorite Marvel movies. It's and now that I realize he also directed Rocketeer, that makes perfect sense. They have the same vibe that right. that all-American sort of 1950s throwback hero. Uh, yeah, he was perfect for, for uh, Captain America. I'm glad they chose him. Yeah, as soon as I saw those two in the same paragraph, I'm like, ah, yeah. okay, it all makes sense now. Yep, 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 I feel it. I'm going to watch Rocketeer again now knowing yeah, that me it's too. been a while. Writers on this one, and this goes back to what my brother was talking about earlier, giving proper credit, uh, and now you know the definitions of these terms. Story by Stuart Gordon, uh, who wrote on Reanimator, Robot Jocks, and Brian Usna, who wrote also wrote on Reanimator, Reanimator but part two, and Ed Naha, screenplay by Ed Naha, who wrote on Oddballs, Troll in 86, Dolls in 87, and others 80s and 90s B-movie horror flicks, but in 07 switched to biblical stories with the Ten Commandments and Noah. <laughs> That's a interesting range there, Ed Naha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tom Schulman, who wrote for Dead Poet Society in 89, and What About Bob in 91, Medicine Man in 92, and Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. Holy Man, and Welcome to Mooseport. Wow. Another big range. That's a big swing, too. Like, those are way different movies. Dead Poets yeah. Society to What About Bob? I mean, that's that's strange, but good for him. That's Fair. a lot of range. I, I often wonder, as a, as a writer or as a director or an actor, if you just go, I want something different next time. I want to completely change it up and try a different genre. Mm-hmm. And that's why we see some of these all over the board. But then there's some who are like, I'm a sci-fi guy, and that's the only place I'm ever going to play. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, time period for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. In 1989, you got Bill and Ted, which we did an episode on before, came out that year. And uh, Dead Poets Society in the box office with uh, top 10 highest scoring films that year, uh, $235 million worldwide it was the summer of rick moranis with ghostbusters 2 which was number eight worldwide with 215 million parenthood number nine with 100 million and honey i shrunk the kids number seven with 222 million that's insane Mm -hmm. all that in one year for rick moranis yeah wow yeah he owned it man uh and then indiana jones and the last crusade was number one that year with 474 million worldwide Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was a summer release, came out June 23rd, the same week as Batman, one week after Ghostbusters 2, and then Parenthood came out just a couple weeks later on August 2nd. Yeah, that's, wow, he owned that summer. That's insane. And that ties into what we find out about uh, Batman and how he ties into uh, the success, you know, helpful uh, success for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. We'll get into that a little bit later. I'll be totally honest. If you had given me this as a trivia question and said who had the most top ten uh, movie huh, yeah. w- via income in that year, I would have guessed you a hundred names or given you a hundred names and never gotten to Rick Moranis. Yeah, good point. That's interesting. I wonder what his personal. I now feel like a fool on, for uh, all that was. Box office for Honey I Shrunk the Kids: two hundred and twenty-two million dollars. On try to guess how much the actual budget was. It says here. I would not have guessed this. 
I'm letting everyone play along at home as they try and guess. So you have your number? Are you ready? Do you have it? Did you write it down? 18 million. That's it. That's crazy. And it was the highest grossing live action Disney film ever. 18 million to make that movie? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Up until then. That's the, yeah, the, the, the highest grossing live action Disney film ever. I think it's probably wow. exceeded that on other things. But just a swing from 18, like $200 million profit. No one can predict that sort of success. That is no. fantastic. No, I mean, there's so many factors that go into that. I mean, what's the competition? What does it look like in the economy at that time? I mean, look at what's happening with the movie industry right now. A lot of movies that they were they were probably banking on making a half a billion dollars may end up going straight to video mm-hmm. or straight to you know digital release and might make them a hundred million at most. Yeah. You just never know. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a gamble. It is. Rotten Tomatoes score on Honey, I Shrunk the Kid lower than I would have thought at 76%. And the sequel to that was Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, um, which, you know, the kid doesn't actually explode. Uh, uh, this is uh, the Selinsky family is back. Why didn't you tell us earlier? Well, until now, the machine just blew things up. Are you saying that that machine blew, blew up? up my kid? No, no, no. no, no, no. If the machine no. had blown up the kids, there'd be pieces of them everywhere. Right. Sorry if I ruined the movie for you. Um, the Solinsky <laughs> family is back. This time, hilarious disaster strikes when an experiment causes their new toddler son to grow many stories tall. Uh, this brings back Rick Moranis and Marsha Strassman, uh, Robert Oliveri and Amy O'Neill. Uh, they're two kids. Uh, there's no Thompson neighbors this time around. The baby, uh, Adam, is played by twins Daniel and Joshua Shalikar. And they didn't do anything else after this, so kind of like the, the other kids, they just... I don't know. All done with acting, I guess. Nobody had a great experience. I'm not sure. Uh, Lloyd Bridges comes in on this one. Uh, unfortunately, he died in 1998. Um, but his f- first acting gig was in 1936. Uh, after that, he cool. did uh, High Noon. He had his own show, which I never knew about, the Lloyd Bridges show from 1962 63. And then what uh, probably squeaks into stuff we know from uh, him from is Airplane. In 1980, Airplane 2, the sequel, in 82. Uh, he's also in one of my favorite movies, Joe vs. the Volcano. Uh, he's in Hot Shots 1 and 2. So he did a, quite a string of comedies there. Uh, then he was in Blown Away. Uh, and you might know him as Izzy Mandelbaum on Seinfeld <laughs> in 97. Mandelbaum! Yeah, he was like, he always thought he was super strong when he was in a hospital right. bed. <laughs> uh, John Shea is in this as well uh, as the villain. Stealing Home, Free Jack. He was in, he was Lex Luthor on The New Adventures of Superman, 93 to 97. Adam Kane and Mutant X from 01 to 04. Harold Waldorf on Gossip Girl, my favorite show of all time, 2007 to 2012. <laughs> I did actually watch quite a few episodes of that because uh, <laughs> Vanessa was watching all the time and it hooks you. Um, Carrie Russell, this was actually her first movie. Um, she was on uh, Malibu, Malibu Shores uh, in 96, Felicity. I think everybody probably knows her from that, 98 to 2002. Then she was in We Were Soldiers in 02, which is, I don't know if a lot of people have seen that movie, but it's it's probably one of my favorite uh, war movies. Very, very good. Oh, that's the Mel Gibson yeah. and uh, Sam Elliott? That's right. Um, yeah, they're like the new, I love the that. new cavalry in oh, Vietnam, the, the helicopter so cavalry. Good. cavalry. Uh, yeah, it's it's really good. Um, she was also in Mission Impossible Three, Extraordinary Measures, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Free State of Jones, 
uh, and she was Elizabeth Jennings on The Americans, 2013 to 2018, a show that's still on my list to see, and I feel stupid that I haven't watched it yet because I hear everybody recommending it. Uh, I will. Very good. I will watch it. Uh, she was also in uh, Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker, and uh, in the upcoming Antlers in 2021, we'll see her in that. Ron Canada is in this. I know him from uh, Adventures in Babysitting in 87. Mm -hmm. uh, Arthur Two on the Rocks. He was also in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, The American President, National Treasure, Cinderella Man, Wedding Crashers, Ted Two. Uh, and he was on a lot of television. Dallas in 89, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, The Shield, One on One, The West Wing, Boston Legal. Tons of stuff. Lots of other little bit parts on TV shows that you've probably seen him on. Uh, Michael Milowen, uh He's on Field of Dreams, Rocketeer. Crimson Tide, Phenomenon, Tin Cup, which is, I, that's one of the greatest sports movies, but also uh, probably the best golf movie, which I guess there's not a lot of competition, but. I was almost in that movie. Oh, yeah, I was in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, uh, and she's all that, uh, Collateral Damage, and he was on uh, Third Rock from the Sun and uh, Do Over, a couple of television shows that you may or may not have heard of. Gregory Sierra. Uh, he was in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. He was on Papi or in the movie Papillon in '73, Towering Inferno. He was in John Carpenter's Vampires and tons of television. He was on Sanford and Son uh, from '72 to '75, Soap '81, '80 or '80 to '81, and MacGyver '85 through '90. He's a regular on there. Now this second one was directed by Randall Kleiser, who I don't know why I didn't recognize his name, uh, but he directed Grease in '77, which is one of our favorite movies. We're big musical fans. Blue Lagoon in 1980. Fly the Navigator in 86. Big Top Peewee, which I'm a big Peewee fan, but that one felt a little flat for me. White Fang in 91 and Shadow of a Doubt in 98. So he's done some good stuff. Um, the Unfortunately, the rating on this is, is far less than the first one. It's only 40%. Um, writers on this project were Tom Eberhardt, uh, wrote Night of the Comet, All I Want for Christmas, and Captain Ron in 92. Peter mm -hmm. Elbling uh, did a bunch of TV movies, none very noteworthy. Gary Goodrow uh, also has a story by credit, uh, but nothing else credited to his name. Uh, so these last two guys have more acting listings than writing, and that kind of clues you in to the uh, quality of the film. Uh, <laughs> this came out in 92, which uh, we covered in the Candyman episode. Uh, it was also a summer release. I think they were expecting some big things. Came out July 17, uh, but didn't do all that great. $58 million at the box office on a $32 million budget. So profit's not as good, but they still made a coin. Uh, Aladdin was the big winner that year at $504 million worldwide. Then there was a straight-to-video uh, sequel uh, that wrapped up the trilogy called Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. That came out in '97. 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, Oof. which is basically a, a no-watch zone, uh, and we did not watch this one. Uh, it's directed by Dean Cundy, and it was the only movie he ever directed. So... <laughs> one and done. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> Dean out. Yeah. Um, now, I had set aside time to watch both uh, one and two, and I didn't get to the second one. Um, so I could have pretended that I did, but I'm I'm gonna be honest and tell you I didn't watch it. So I, I, I did watch the first one. Um, yeah, I watched both. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That's good. So you'll you'll be our representative for the second one then. Um, for me, I don't know, man. I 
it was uh it was so overtly family friendly that it felt like a disney tv show you know it didn't really feel like a a movie it was so wholesome that it was almost it was distracting you know um which is fine for then but for now it just doesn't have that same appeal to me i'm not a kid and um i think there's just content has changed this was this was back in a time where not that disney's um totally less wholesome now but i i think it was much more of a time where everyone knew if you wanted to set up some entertainment for the you know the uh the kids uh the nursery school or the the, the church group or whatever you put on a disney film because you could trust it there wasn't going to be any yep. you know discussion about you know topics that you didn't want to have a discussion with your kids on afterwards so uh, that this fits right into that sort of thing. And if that's what you're looking for, then this is a perfect movie for you. It's good for all ages. They're, they're going to get a laugh at some point and some good entertainment out of the effects. And, and you know, the overall story is just kind of fun. But the stage sets, they're so obviously stage sets that, again, that's distracting. Uh, the music, I don't understand how... Uh, I, there, from what I read, there was lawsuits on uh almost all the movies for for writing stuff and and different things and and story ideas as well um but i don't know how there wasn't a lawsuit on the music uh, the one one scene is a direct rip off of peewee's big adventure and then there's other scenes where it's the goonies music uh, so yeah I, I don't know maybe they, i guess it's if they owned the the rights on that or paid whatever then i guess you can use it but it's just a shame i like original uh music for movies um, and those are so iconic songs that to borrow them, you know, they're going to be recognized. So what's the point? I don't know. From other big films that had just been out a handful of years before. Yeah. Seems lazy. Um, and for me, I didn't like most of the kids. Uh, they all kind of fell flat for me. The only one I liked was Jared Rushton. And that might have only been rubbing off from me knowing him from Big, which is really charming in that movie. Okay, <laughs> Ron. Maybe you're right. Maybe this is just all a bad dream. But if it is, would this hurt? Ow! Get up! <sighs> if you were my brother, I'd put myself up for adoption. Yeah, I hope your face ends up on a milk carton. Yeah, everybody else I thought, uh, and, and and even the adults, I, I thought the acting was really bad at the beginning, but then halfway through, it just suddenly got better. Like, when it got real danger and real, uh, you know, topics of discussion on missing their kids and all that sort of stuff and fixing their family and all that, it, it was better acting. Um, ultimately, it saves the movie, and I, I think it, it's worth a watch uh, by the end, um, but... And I know we still haven't solidified our rating system, but if I'm going to give this a, a star rating, then for me, it's probably like two, two and a half stars. You know, it's a it's a one off. I, I'll probably never watch it again. Wow. Uh, you're much more critical of this one than yeah. I am. I, I totally agree with you that uh, both films felt they were Disney safe. I like that as a mm. as a name for it, uh, because they were definitely aimed at. At the kids. And at the time when I saw the first one, I was still that age, uh, basically in between those kids' ages in the movies. And so it resonated with me. I liked it. I remember seeing it, and I really enjoyed it. When we crashed, my entire life flashed before my eyes. It didn't take too long. Contradictory to you, uh, I did like the big oversized fake set feel. Mm. 
I thought that was pretty cool, and I and I thought they did a a decent job at the stop animation or the whatever you call that, like Jason and the Argonauts style yeah. uh, with the ants and stuff. It still felt fake, but compared to other things at the time, felt less fake than some other stuff that I had seen. Mm. Uh, I think at the time I was probably blown away by how real it felt, but uh, since things have changed drastically. <laughs> Yeah. So a uh, little little uh little weird to go back and watch it now. I felt like the first one uh was I would give it more of a three and a half stars, I think. Okay. Uh I enjoyed it. I'd watch it again later on. I think it's definitely something like if I had kids, I would I would show them. Or if uh, another parent were asking for uh recommendations, I would say the first one's worth watching. The second one started to feel like it was a straight to DVD or straight to VHS. Um, I actually liked the kid that they cast, uh, the twins that they cast in that one. He it was adorable, uh, they, that kid in the movie. But there was so much in there that just felt hammed up mm. and over the top. Uh, the second one was, I, I don't know exactly what they were doing there. I honestly watched it and glazed over a lot. I ended up on my phone, which is a rule I try not to do while we're watching these movies for the, for the retakes, and went back and watched some key scenes again to see if it was better. <laughs> not so much. Oh. How was Lloyd yeah. Bridges? Was he Lloyd Bridges was okay. okay. He he didn't get to ham it up and go over the top in the fun way that we like to see him. Yeah. But he did add a bit of uh levity uh to his, some of his scenes towards the end. The problem was he was only featured in the movie for 5 minutes. Mm. They they alluded to him as this big bad business owner uh for the the first half of the movie and then he came into play in the second half and backed up Wayne uh, Rick Moranis's character, yeah, and and gave him the the nudge he needed to to solve the big problem, you know that kind of sure. thing. Um, uh, the second one definitely was like a two star at most, uh, watchable if you really enjoyed the first, just to see how that continued. I don't know how a three ever got greenlit, uh, but that was we talked about it last time during that uh, period where uh, they were cranking out straight to VHS pretty regularly for sequels you of Disney movies you don't even know exist, right, right. So, I mean, all in all, the concept is great. I found myself uh, watching it thinking a lot about Ant-Man. Uh, I think there was probably the, 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 the creators of Ant-Man for the Marvel Cinematic Universe probably went back and watched this and said, okay, well, let's uh, take notes on what we shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about Ant-Man too, uh, because that's that's one of the reasons I really like Ant-Man. I think it's a, a great movie. And um, yep. uh one of the things that is a lot of fun about it is we've always been kind of obsessed with this idea of 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 shrinking ourselves down and changing our view of the world. I mean, they've had movies like this before, uh, you know, where they go, what is it, the uh, voyage? I forget the, the names of them all. Where they go inside a person or or what? In, oh, yeah. Inner space is probably the, the inner space. Inner space was, yep. was similar. Where uh, they're always a lot of fun. And uh, if they're spaced out enough, where in between, we we want to revisit that world. We want to, you know, do this miniaturized world thing again. So, you know, I th I think that's part of the appeal uh, is you've got to shout out to Misfits of Science. Yes, there you go. Yeah, um, I remember that. Was that um, uh, Courtney Cox was on that one, right? Yep. And yeah, when she was like sixteen, I yeah. think. Yeah, was right after her. Uh, she was on that um, music video. I forget if that was. Yep. Uh, Springsteen? I think it was Springsteen. I think it was. Yep. Anyway, For she was the fan. Useless knowledge. Um, yeah. So 
I think that has a big appeal to people, and that's and that's the Ant Man was a lot of fun, but they um because they did some some really cool concept with that, and it was hard not to think about it when I was writing a pitch. Um, Same, yeah. And it, I tried very hard to make sure mine didn't cross over into that world, but don't know if I succeeded. We'll find out. Do we have before we get into the pitches? Are there any special keywords? Yeah, we we seem to have nestled this secret code word here every week. For so, if you're cheating and you fast forwarded to here, welcome. Uh, go back, rewind about forty minutes. Check out the rest of the podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> Stick around. Don't just come for the word. Uh, the word this week to be used hopefully in an upcoming giveaway. You'll just have to wait and see when and look for the the prompts. Your keyword is French. F R E N C H. Oh, I get French it. French class. French class. Um, <laughs> we should definitely make this uh, the giveaway because um, we can save on shipping for uh, the tiny, tiny things that uh, the prizes that we give away. <laughs> Go all miniature everything. We're going to send you ants and an oatmeal cream pie from Little Debbie's. Yeah. <laughs> Just one. I would take that as a prize. Man. Right? A bee. You're going to get a live <laughs> I don't think it's going to be, <laughs> depends on where you live, how we ship this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only in the continental U.S. with same uh, next day shipping, yeah. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was our review of the films. Uh, that was your secret code word. And now it is time for the retakes, our own original pitches. I think you went first last time. That sounds right. You're up. Yeah. So I'm going to go first this time. Wow us. And uh, what's that? Wow us. Wow. <laughs> uh, wow, wow, and wow. This trips me out because when I started researching the two films and I saw that Joe Johnston directed the first one, I decided uh, he did a great job with it and found out just like we were talking about that he had directed Captain America. I'm like, this is my guy. I want him back for the series if we're going to make this work. And I gave my movie a title. I'm titling my movie Shrunk. And what's funny is when I looked up Joe Johnston's name on IMDb, I swear to God, I, I came up with my title before I looked it up. He is credited as being in, I think, pre-production yeah. right now on a project called Shrunk. That's right. I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm looking it up now to make sure I've got the, the verbiage right here. Yeah, pre-production on Shrunk. And if I click on Shrunk, yep, it's exactly what you think it's going to be, folks. So there you go. We'll find out more soon, hopefully. I didn't want to read past that because I didn't want it to influence my my pitch. Right. So here's my pitch for Shrunk, starring Rick Moranis as Wayne, Carrie Russell is back as Mandy Zelinsky, and Charlie Day is coming in as Nick Zelinsky. Because I love Charlie Day, mm-hmm. and I think he can dial back the ham just enough to play the role, but still be funny. Setting is 2020. Here's our synopsis. Uh, The opening is told pretty much through images, newspaper newspaper clips, and some on-screen text. But basically, following the events of Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, Wayne Zielinski takes over operations at Sterling Labs and continues to work on projects that would make Clifford Sterling and Wayne very wealthy. Nick Zielinski and Mandy officially begin dating after the events of the second film. Nick and Mandy go off to college together in New York to get away from, uh, from everything. And during their time at school, Nick focuses on engineering while Mandy studies journalism. A couple of years into school, as part of an assignment, she begins writing a short story that eventually went on to become a full novel titled Shrunk. 
That book documented her experience from the events of Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. It was almost immediately picked up, published, and became a bestseller. Maybe a movie one day. Who knows? Hmm. We fast forward to the opening of our film set in 2020. Nick and Mandy are married and live in a nice home in upstate New York, not too far from where they went to college, with their two children. We spend the first few minutes of the film catching up with the current state of things, seeing a day in the life of Nick and Mandy. We know uh, that even though they're thousands of miles separate, all of the Zelensky family, including those back home, Wayne and, and Mom and the other kids, are still keeping in touch through calls and technology. Nick returns home from the office one day to find that Mandy has not returned from one of her promotional trips. He tries texting and calling and is starting to get worried when he receives a call from an unknown number. The garbled voice on the other end lets us know that Mandy has been taken and the individual or group responsible wants Wayne's technology before she will be safely returned. Nick had not been a part of his father's experiments since he was a teen, choosing to focus on other, less controversial projects. All of his father's experiments had been moved out of the family home back in Nevada and into Sterling Labs. With Sterling Labs locked down tightly, this person or group decided to get creative. Nick immediately contacts his dad, who jumps on the Sterling private jet and flies to New York. Reunited, the father and son duo spring into action and try and rescue Mandy without giving up the technology that his father had created and had been protecting for years. But he... But uh, Dad didn't show up alone. He brought a few new toys along with him, including a new pocket-sized version of his, I'm going to call it the shrink-slash-up-ray, because I don't know what you actually call that thing. <laughs> While Nick might have been keeping some distance from his father's inventions, they knew that a day like this might possibly come, and measures had been taken. Dad invented some things that might help. So the phone call Nick received from Mandy had already been traced to an abandoned building about an hour away. They immediately headed out to save the day. They arrive at an abandoned building and use the new pocket-sized shrink-slash-upray to miniaturize themselves and sneak into the building unnoticed. Or so they thought. It was mere seconds before they found themselves trapped and hit with a gas that knocked them out. The kidnapper knew enough about the Zelenskys to know that they would try something like this. Nick and Wayne come to and are questioned by a mysterious masked man who is clearly responsible for the kidnapping and wants information on Wayne's inventions and where to get them. A back and forth lasts for several minutes, and Wayne has given up nothing. The masked man reveals that he has the pocket-sized shrink-slash-upray and threatens to use it on Mandy to shrink her and then shrink her again. And who knows what that might do to her, unless they cooperate. This is where the Ant-Man thing comes into play, even though I fought it. Mm -hmm. Wayne holds his ground, and our villain calls his bluff. He aims the ray at Mandy and activates it. As he presses the button, the ray turns to aim itself at Nick and Wayne and enlarges them to regular size, breaking their enclosure. Wayne takes his eyes out of, or takes his keys out of his pocket and pushes a button on an attached keychain. The man, the masked man instantly shrinks down and Wayne scoops him up. After all these years, Zelensky wasn't going to let somebody else use the ray to do harm and had built in some security measures. A day or two later at a police station near Sterling Labs in Nevada, Nick, Wayne, and Mandy appear with a small case. We see them chatting with the police officer, and as he turns around, we see the name badge on his uniform. It reads, R. Thompson. Their old neighbor had become a trusted ally and was very helpful when dealing with issues that came up as a result of activities at the lab. The masked man is brought back to regular size and unmasked. The mysterious man is none other than Dr. Hendrickson, who had tried to take over Wayne's invention for himself during Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. 
He's taken into custody and closing credits roll. And I don't have any post scene because <laughs> I, I figured that was getting a little old with me doing that every time. So I'm just going to leave it alone. The end <laughs> question mark. Yeah, exactly. Well, I wish I'd gone first because I might as well title mine ditto. It's pretty much the exact same. No, thing. are you kidding no, me? It's like it's word for word. So obviously you hacked into my computer and copied. What? There's no way. Well, you still have to pitch it. Fine. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna make up a new one on the spot. <laughs> yeah, right. That's crazy. Um, okay. So I I did not watch the second one. However, I did read through the description in detail because uh, I wanted to know more about what happens, and um, it it gives it gives a lot of help because then it creates a a villain, um, which is what you did as well. And uh, so it helps move things along. Um, but I, I did also bring in a character, a very lightly touched upon character from the first one that called Dr. Brainard, who he was the only supporter of Zelensky when he went and did that presentation uh, to the, oh, yeah. you know, to try and get that grant and everybody else left. But he came up and, you know, uh, was interested in his work. Anyway, so I bring him back. So the name of mine is called Big World. Um. I I did cast it with uh, Rick and Marsha again uh, for the their son. So I'm 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 basically moving on. I know this ignores the third installment. I'm just this is basically a new uh, trilogy uh, bookend piece here. Uh, it's intentionally lighthearted, old school kid sort of film. It's basically like a you know a step above a cartoon. So um, so expect some some base. <laughs> concepts uh for uh for uh adam uh, this is going to be modern time so he's actually going to be 30 years old i'm choosing charlie mcdermott uh you may know from the middle uh he was on that tv show i really like that guy and i haven't seen him in anything else and so i'd like to see him again uh and uh anna kendrick is in this because she's just highly likable John Shea, I'm going to bring back uh, for the same role you had him in, uh, Dr. Hendrickson. And uh, for our cop, I want Reginald Vell Johnson because he's the cop that should always be the cop. Anytime you have a cop, I don't care if he's a thousand years old, which he's way up there right now, but I don't care. I'm bringing him back. Um, So he's going to be our beloved police officer because I think that ties into the whole idea of this, you know, very lighthearted, you know. What was the name of that show the 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 family family friendly show that he was on uh, family uh, ties no. no family something no matters family, family matters. matters there you go uh and in that same vein i'm choosing robert rodriguez to direct because he did all the spy kids movies uh yeah i'm not the biggest fan of those but a lot of people are and it fits into kind of how i want this treated uh visually all right so here we go Dr. Brainard, a long-retired scientist, has just finished breakfast in the morning newspaper. He puts all of it in a special bin, and we watch it move on a conveyor belt out of his house and into the backyard. Along its path, shrink rays miniaturize the objects, and they continue down an even smaller conveyor belt into the Zelensky kitchen. We discover the Zelensky home is actually a miniaturized structure in the greenhouse behind Dr. Brainard's house. After the incident in Vegas, Wayne took his work from Sterling Labs and disappeared with his wife Diane and son Adam. They spent years in seclusion, hiding themselves and Wayne's inventions away from organizations who'd like to get their hands on his technology. 
Adam, a 30-year-old bachelor still living at home, is a promising scientist. Having earned online degrees in both mechanical engineering and computer engineering, Adam has built some marvelous machines, making his father proud, but he's failed to venture out into the world on his own, which upsets Diane. One morning, Dr. Brainard's breakfast care package doesn't show up, and Wayne can't reach him on the radio. They decide to let Adam investigate. Adam reports that Dr. Brainard's missing and thinks he may have been kidnapped. Adam brings in the authorities, but when questions turn to who he is, Adam panics and flees the scene. One of the police is Officer Terrence Whitaker, an older detective that specializes in runaways and victims of abusive homes. He senses that Adam, despite being a 30-year-old man on the surface, has a childlike innocence and may need his help. Alone and scared, Adam finds him help from a woman who happened past him on the side of the road and offers him a ride. This is Anna Kendrick. They check into a motel where Samantha tells him she's on the run as well, but from an abusive husband. Adam confides in her who he really is, the giant kid that stomped all over Vegas, and she asks if he could still grow in size. This is a blatant sexual joke, but <laughs> disnified for younger audiences. She says she'll help him get home if he helps her hide, proposing that she could be shrunk and live in the greenhouse. Adam says that this will be perfect, as one of the reasons he never left home is because he didn't want his parents to be alone with no neighbors or friends their size. Meanwhile, Pop, Mom and Pop Zelensky are worried their son hasn't returned or updated them on the situation. They can see people moving through Dr. Brainard's house, some even investigating the greenhouse. They hide away, hoping the house will be mistaken as decoration, but one man isn't fooled. Dr. Charles Hendrickson, Wayne's old co-worker from Sterling Labs, has never gotten over losing the size alteration technology and suffering humiliation from Wayne Zelensky, and after confirming his suspicions of Wayne's location, he's there to get revenge. Wayne and Diane escape on a customized RC helicopter they stashed for just such a getaway. They were hunted down by drones, controlled by Sterling security, crashing into a nearby park just as they spot Adam sneaking into the backyard. Adam sees Dr. Henriksen taking off with their house and asks Samantha to follow him back to Henriksen's secret lab. In the lab is Dr. Brainard tied up in shock to see the Zelensky home under Henriksen's arm. The mad scientist tells Brainard that if he can't find Wayne, he'll just take everything so that Wayne has to come to him. What he doesn't know is that Wayne has spent the years perfecting his size alteration technology, which is of course now small enough to fit into a pocket. Wayne's pocket. <laughs> Wayne and Diane enlarge themselves and head back home. They see they have no home to return to, and police are still at Brainard's, but luckily they find Samantha's wallet in the grass, dropped when she and Adam were chasing after Dr. Hendrickson. That's lazy writing. Their only clue, <laughs> but no means to find more information, they shrink themselves again and sneak Samantha's ID where the cops will find it. Once they do, they call in to get more details, and the Selinskis overhear that Samantha's a known jewel thief, and that her car was recently spotted in the old warehouse district. Unbeknownst to the police, but beknownst to us, the Selinskis hitch a ride to the area inside Officer Terrence Whitaker's cruiser. When Officer Whitaker arrives to find Adam and Samantha sitting in their car, he goes to radio for backup, only to see the car and passengers seemingly disappear. The Zelenskys know what has really happened, understanding that Adam must have taken a size alteration device along with him. To Whitaker's compounding shock, the Zelenskys suddenly appear in his vehicle, and they quickly explain to him who they are, what's happening. And he, he says he can't go into the warehouse without a warrant, so the Zelenskys are on their own. They get out and shrink themselves to sneak into the warehouse. Both sets of shrunken couples are inside Hendrickson's lab. They don't know that it was a trap, and Adam and Samantha are captured in a tiny box, and Hendrickson sees the tiny device fall from Adam's pocket. He's able to pick it up with a tiny robotic implement, and accidentally sets him on himself where he grows to incredible height. Seeing the threat the crazy scientist poses, Wayne enlarges himself to equal size, and the men have an epic fight crushing buildings Godzilla-style. 
Diane helps the others escape, Wayne defeats Hendrickson, and Samantha thanks the family. She confesses that she wanted to use the enlargement device to increase the size of her stolen jewels, but also says she stole them from her husband, not a store. It was the only thing she could grab of value to support herself when she left him. Officer Whitaker believes her, but says he can't. He can do little to help. Adam, however, comes up with a plan. We cut to the future where Officer Whitaker is escorting a woman and her kids to a place outside of town. They enter a small shack where they are shrunk, revealing a tiny entrance that opens up on an expansive neighborhood contained within a greenhouse-like structure, each house containing a family now saved from their former lives of abuse. The Zelenskys greet the newcomers, Adam and Samantha, delivering a basket of oversized fruit and a mini-bar bottle of champagne. Nice. Well, I mean, there were definitely some overlaps, but I feel like your story was still significantly different. <laughs> it's exactly the same. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, okay, as I'm thinking about it, as you're reading yours and, and watching the second film, they never showed what happened to, to Hendrickson. So they leave it open yeah. on purpose. And I feel like no matter what happens going forward, if it is a sequel, that guy's coming back. He's still around. He's still an actor. They left the door open. We both took that door. I bet they do, too. I bet we'll find that out when the time comes for that series. Yeah, and from what I read on the third one, that's not a part of it at all. It's like they just completely backtracked to trying to recreate the first one and uh, uh, apparent, okay. apparently just didn't didn't go over as well. Interesting. Well, maybe we're wrong then. But But if they're doing a reshoot, if they're remaking it, well, then they can retell the story. All right. Well, that that leads yeah. into it. Let's let's talk about it. So the retake is called Shrunk. You stumbled on the right uh, thing. <laughs> Can't there. believe that. Uh, and there was conflicting info on this project. Originally, it was rumored as a reboot, but it's now known to be a sequel. Still with the Selinskis again, with a focus on Nick Selinski and his two kids. One is an inventor like her grandpa Wayne, and the other is obsessed with predicting his own death. The plot is likely Nick's kids become miniaturized, and, you know, stuff happens when they're small. Uh, that's mostly from InsideTheMagic.net. Uh, who's in this? We've got confirmed actors Josh Gad and Rick Moranis is back for this project, which is pretty exciting. And guess what? Joe Johnston will be Crazy. directing. So I think that's pretty good look josh gad is the most lovable thing to come out of disney so which you know he'd done other stuff as well but uh he's now has that tie and he can do anything with them and i think he'll bring in the family so this is um this is a good project uh yeah one of the best characters that disney's created over the last decade has been josh gad <laughs> yeah they made him <laughs> they use him in everything snow. now <laughs> um uh todd rosenberg uh is the writer on this I had one other movie in post-production called All My Life, and that's going to be due out supposedly in 2020. So new writer, uh, so we don't know much from him. However, the story by um, goes to Josh Gad and Ryan Dixon, huh. who both wrote the screenplay for the upcoming Triplets, which is also very exciting, as well as Ian yeah. Helfer, uh, who wrote uh, Why Him, uh, that Brian Cranston movie that I don't know if anybody oh, saw yeah. in 2016 and mm -hmm. the oranges, which I never heard of in 2011. And also Jay Reese who worked on the oranges as well. They, uh, they apparently were supposed to be filming all this right now, uh, but it all got delayed. Sure. So there's no release date as of yet. Everything is getting pushed back, but there, yeah, all that other stuff is, is pretty confirmed. So 
Yeah, I mean, I th- I think Joe Johnson's with I imagine him taking this on now with all the and a, you know, a big budget, proper special effects. Like I think even if it is a shot for shot remake as far as scenes go, it'll still look a whole lot better. I bet Josh Gad's story is very light and family friendly and I I I think it's going to be you know, I don't know if anything will come close to being as big a hit as the original as far as profit margins go, but I think this will be good. Yeah, I, and I think that's a good sign that, one, Rick Moranis is ready to come back and do some work. Um, the last time that he was he did anything that I know of, he did one episode of The Goldbergs where basically he was still in costume as Dark Helmet. Yeah. Uh, but that yeah, he's back, which is good. I think if Joe Johnson agrees to sign on, he could be doing a lot of big, really high-profile projects right now, given the success of a lot of his movies. So they're going to back it. They're going to give it support. It's not going to be some direct-to-VHS-type scenario. So that's right. good. I think uh, Rick's last project was the We Shrunk Ourselves, and then uh, his wife died, and uh, so he um, was just raising his kids. Basically, he just gave up acting to do that. Kudos to him. But they're raised uh, now. You know, I guess he... Wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Now he can demand what he wants and he can work on his own when he wants to. It's all his his call, what he wants to do. I'm really hoping this is a, uh, another start for him, like that we see him in a lot more stuff, because obviously there's proof in that one summer the man can own a box office, even if it's all supporting roles or whatever. Who cares? Like he's just every time he's on screen, it's a treat. I was looking at uh, photos of the cast uh, now and I saw one of him, a couple of him, on some sort of red carpet or something. And, I mean, he looks pretty much identical, just a little older, a little grayer like you'd expect. But that smile of his, mm-hmm. uh, just seeing that, I'm like, oh, he'll always be that Rick Moranis because of that big smile. And I hope to see that. Uh, I can't wait to see that again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, just for him. And I, I really like Josh Gad. But, yeah, they're they're both kind of in that same vein, I think. they're They're equal, instantly likable dudes that um, you, you're just hanging on the edge of your seat waiting for their next, whatever they're going to say. You know, it's going to be pretty funny or likable or whatever. They're they're charming guys. God, I hope this works and we get a Spaceballs too. <laughs> that would make me so happy. Yeah. I just, I just <laughs> want all the merchandise. Um, <laughs> all right, it's trivia time. Oh, boy. Here we go. Stuart Gordon, who created the concept for the movie, was originally going to direct. Just as production on the film was set to begin, Stuart Gordon became sick and had to leave the set. Unable to delay the shoot, Disney brought in Joe Johnston. Albeit ten years later, Gordon finally got his chance to direct his creation, helming one episode of the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show, which ran for three seasons, believe it or not, in the late 90s. What? I didn't even know it existed until we were talking about this last time. <laughs> In an early version of the script, there were five kids, one of which died during the sprinkler sequence. Oh my god, that's terrible. Well, she—that's al- dark. Yeah, she almost died, right? Like she drowns. Uh, yeah. For the scene in which miniaturized Nick Zelensky drops into a bowl of Cheerios cereal, a tank was filled with sixteen thousand gallons of a milk-like substance made from chlorinated water, food thickener, and pigment. The Cheerios were made from tractor inner tubes, twelve feet in diameter, coated in foam. Oh, dang. Chevy Chase and John Candy both turned down the role of Wayne Zielinski 
Candy did, however, suggest Rick Moranis for the role. This also had happened when Moranis was offered Ghostbusters in 1984. Hmm. Yeah, we, we did that on the, the other trivia. Uh, the neighborhood scene in the film is not real. It was built at the back lot of uh, Churubusco Studios. Uh, I think that's in Mexico City. An English garden located at the studio served as the backyard, and the houses were cleverly placed around the garden to hide the studio buildings from most directions. I mean, it looked legit. I fell for it. Uh, in 1989, an LAT or LA Times article suggested the film benefited from moviegoers who were unable to secure tickets to the sold-out releases of Batman, the highest-grossing release with the same opening weekend as Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, so this wow. this is just one of the Batman tie-ins. Yeah, um, we'll we'll find out. I think it's in a, another oh, trivia. Oh, interesting. Okay. Sets and props took more than nine months to build. A May June 1989 Disney Channel magazine article reported that twelve houses, complete with front and backyards, were built in addition to a ten foot tall oatmeal cookie, ten foot tall, made from polyurethane foam and real cream filling. 40-foot-tall urethane foam blades of grass and a giant mechanical ant that required a dozen puppeteers to operate. The ant was constructed using latex foam core and horse hair and recreated for stop-motion sequences in which the children rode atop the insect. That's probably, going back to my comment from earlier, the fact that they built a full-size ant instead of trying to do stop-motion with a tiny ant is probably why it kind of bridged the gap and looked better Mm -hmm. than other films who had tried it. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, The film's original title was Teeny Weenies, which was rejected on the grounds that it sounded too much like a kiddies film with no appeal to adults. The titles Grounded and The Big Backyard were also considered, then subsequently dropped during pre-production. And this this is a problem that I have with referring to the franchise is I don't know what to refer to this as. Like you call it the just for short, you know, uh, you know, media style bursts like you can't call it anything like honey i shrunk the kids is the only thing you can refer to it you can't call it like honey i did stuff to the kids because that sounds awful or and you can't <laughs> can't call it honey because there's that that other movie <laughs> that uh was that uh yeah what's her face um so yeah i you you don't you have to say the whole movie title i don't know i don't know what else you can call it the th- wow yeah the theatrical release <laughs> included a seven and a half minute animated short which preceded the film titled Tummy Trouble, featuring Roger Rabbit from Disney's recent blockbuster, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Tummy Trouble marked the first animated short Disney had released since 1965, and it cost $1.8 million. After an initial trailer devoted entirely to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids played in theaters for three months, another trailer for the film devoted its first two-thirds to the short, aiming to draw in Roger Rabbit fans. So it's not just Batman that they owe or they get they got money from it's also roger rabbit interesting huh i don't remember seeing that i I bet it's available somewhere i do remember it i had to look up the little still of it but once i saw the still of it i'm like yep i I remember i remember that it was it was pretty funny to see if i can find it on youtube maybe the movie opened with an animated sequence showing two tiny children running from a record needle a typewriter and other menacing everyday objects as title credits cleverly materialized According to the graphic design site Art of the Title, the sequence, created by Croyer Films, was one of the first to combine hand-drawn animations with 3D models. The team that created the sequence included Andrew Stanton, who would go on to work on Toy Story, 
Monsters Inc., yeah. Finding Nemo, and Wally. Ah, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you look at it, it it uh, you can tell there's something. I was I was questioning if there was computers involved, but that was a bit too soon. But it, uh, but yeah, you can you can see it's a different animation style. As any English major could tell you, "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids" is not a grammatically correct title. It should be "Shrank." This earned public ridicule from Spell, the Society for the Preservation of English Language and Literature, which awarded the film its Dunce Cap Award for 1989. A Disney executive was quick to fire back that the mistake was deliberate, as it's taken from a line of dialogue in the film. Even though we were watching it, and I'm going to pull clips and stuff, uh, but he doesn't actually say honey. He just says, I shrunk the kids. Oh, interesting. There's another one like that, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Bastards is not spelled correctly either, and it was done right, deliberately. Yeah. I always thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. The film was, at first, not supposed to be a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. This is talking about Honey, I Blew Up the Kids. Originally titled Big Baby, it was about a younger toddler who grew to giant size by a freak accident involving a growth ray and eventually terrorized Las Vegas in a non-violent yet Godzilla-esque way. Disney saw the possibilities of making this into a follow-up to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and rewrote the script to the movie. Whereas most of the characters from Big Baby were written as characters from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, there was no character that could take the place of Amy Zielinski, Wayne and Diane's eldest child and only daughter portrayed by Amy O'Neill. Instead of excluding her character from the story, Amy makes a brief appearance in the beginning of the film and it is explained that she is leaving for college. Oh, wow. See, and that... that we're talking about all the the complex references to who wrote what like mm-hmm. so i guess there's the story by thing goes to who wrote big baby big baby hmm. yeah that's interesting and that's an example of yeah there was a concept <laughs> they probably rewrote the entire thing just to fit uh into this world that's that's pretty weird but it makes sense we were talking about something recently that was like that where they um they forced it oh or no, uh, maybe that it's was that the uh, Cloverfield? Cloverfield, Cloverfield yeah, yeah, that movie that went straight to Netflix yeah. was originally just a standalone film, right. and they just shimmied in a couple of references to the events of the uh, Cloverfield attack, yeah, to make it part of that universe, right. which it worked. Um, yeah, it did. Yeah, wasn't necessary, no, <laughs> because they didn't advertise it as such. But it was, it was cool. Yeah. Actor Alex Daniels portrayed Adam in his blown-up form. He's credited as Uncle Janosch. Daniels wore a 40-pound electronic-headed Adam suit for the role and was coached on how to mimic the movements of a toddler. Once suited up on the set, Daniels had to magnify his movements so they would show through the costume's heavy, clumsy folds. Occasionally, the heat inside the outfit proved too much for its coolant system, a vest with ice water pumped through tubes, prompting crew members who noticed Daniels faltering to yell, Get Alex out of there! Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, I watched, as I'm watching the second one, I was kind of amazed. I mean, you could definitely tell green screens and stuff when the, the big version of the kid interacted with people, but I could tell times where the movements weren't quite baby-esque, but they were still pretty on point. Mm-hmm. Like, they did a good job, uh, given the time. I think they did an excellent job. Now it would look way better, but... You know who was almost cast as the baby? No, who? Sandra Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be in every episode from here on out. I plan out. on it's it. brilliant. I plan on it. Uh <laughs> 
I don't know if you know this. Very interesting <laughs> fact. But every time. I love it. Uh, at around the 44-minute mark, Rosebud, the sled from Citizen Kane, which came out in 1941, and the Ark of the Covenant from Raiders of the Lost Ark are visible in the lab security warehouse. I meant to freeze that and look. They go into a giant warehouse, and I thought, there's got to be some Easter eggs here, and I forgot to go back. I would have picked those out. A- well, I would have picked out the Ark. Yeah. Maybe not the sled. Yeah, because it just looks like a sled. There's nothing iconic That's about cool. it. There's another movie that has re- the... The uh, Ark of the Covenant in, mm-hmm. in there. In another warehouse scene uh, like that. All right, listeners. Whoever can uh, answer that correctly gets a free round I of applause. what it is. Uh, the movie was the beneficiary of a reverse boycott in the summer of 92. Here's our second tie-in. Many police departments objected to Warner Brothers' release of Ice-T's Cop Killer CD and asked their members to see Honey, I Blew Up the Kid instead of Warner Brothers' Batman Returns as a protest. So in two different instances, <laughs> the, the, this franchise benefited in ticket sales because people either couldn't get into Batman or refused to go to Batman. Am I missing the link between Ice T's Cop Killer and Batman Returns? Yeah, why would the police? They're both Warner Brothers, so Warner Brothers made. Oh, okay, yeah, I got you. I see, I see. You wrote it in there too, and I just didn't put it together. I was thinking like that song was not on the soundtrack <laughs> for Batman Returns. I, I, I clearly remember that. Yeah, wasn't Bat Dance the big hit by Prince? <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, that's a great song. All right, well, if I find Bat Dance, and I'll be sure to play that on the outgoing music here, but uh, otherwise you're going to be listening to some, some random clip from Money I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, we appreciate you stopping by. This is, uh, as always, a lot of fun, and uh, we hope you have a lot of fun listening. If you didn't follow my instructions from earlier, then what's wrong with you? Go follow and subscribe and do all those things, and take a look at the new website. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Till next time, Nerds Unite! Yeah.